look at her, because she doesn't even want you to be re- to want to be rescued right now, and especially not by you. All right, so so battle to fight and a beauty to rescue and an adventure to live. I mean, is your life an adventure? I mean, you know what I hate? I hate it when I meet people, and as I get to know them and I get to know something about their lives, I discover that their life really is an adventure. And I get kind of jealous of that because they fight battles and they build things that are really big and they tell their stories and they really do rescue beauties. I mean, you meet his wife and it's like, wow, he really did rescue a beauty. Way to go, dude. And you're all impressed, you know. And, and then you find out, you know, she's like the third one he rescued. And it's like, oh, well, okay, you don't get credit for that. But <laughs> the, the, no, actually, the truth is I'd love to meet people like that. I really do. And um, I get over my jealousy pretty quickly because I prefer to do life with people like that. Um, whose lives are an adventure, and it's inspiring to me, and I want to be around people like that. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. You meet those people, and their life really is epic. It's an adventure to live. And we begin to think that if life really is an epic, if life really is a story that God is writing, then I must be like an extra. Because he didn't really give me a part. He just kind of, there's nothing big going on right here. And I think what John Eldridge has said is true, that there is a story and we are in it. And it's like we're in the third act and there's a fourth and final act coming. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and there really is a battle and there really is evil and there really is a cosmic, angelic, spirit stuff going on. And we just kind of just lived and cruised right through the middle of it. Here's a question I want to try to address. How do you keep in mind, how do you keep that in mind, that there is an epic story? How do you keep in mind that God is telling an epic story? And how do you keep in mind that I'm a part of the story? When you have to leave here and you go home and you got to take out the trash. How do you keep that in mind when you leave here and in less than a couple weeks you got to go back to school? How do you keep that in mind when you leave here and tomorrow morning you have to go to a job that you really kind of hate? How do you keep that in mind when the moment you leave this building you get into a car with people that you seem to have no connection with anymore? How do you wake up every day and remember this is an epic and I've been written into the script and God has a significant plan for me? There's something significant going on. I may be the night clerk at a convenience store. I may be a seasonal employee trying to make all that I can while the sun's shining because I, I just want to survive the winter. Or I may be a small business owner hoping that my business survives for the sake of my employees. Or I may be a pastor of a thriving church in this little town that seems to be this town's best kept secret. And I just, or I may be a stay-at-home mom just trying to raise my kids and make my contribution and manage this household and keep food on the table and oil in the tank all winter long. How in the world, in the midst of all that, can we remember the significant, significant truth that there is a larger story? And we've all been called to play a role in the greatest story ever told. Here's what I want to do for a few minutes. I want to read a story that most of you know. The unfortunate thing about the story is that because of its familiarity, your mind will rush to the end. But I want us not to rush to the end. I want us to experience the story as the story happened. Because in this very familiar Old Testament story, for, for me at least, is one simple truth that has changed the way I see the minutiae of the day. And it's made a huge impact on my thinking. 
And this simple truth that I'm going to try to extract from this story, I believe if we could take this one simple truth and keep it front and center in our lives, that on those days when the biggest adventure is just getting to work on time, when the beauty doesn't want to be rescued, at least not by you, when your life is anything but an adventure, I think this one simple truth, when it comes front and center, allows us to wake up every single day and say, yeah, I'm still in the story. I'm still in the script. I have a role to play. I won't allow the the story to be shrunk down to the size of my little story. Today, I'm going to stay aware of the fact that there's a greater story, and I've been invited into it. So, the Old Testament story that I'm talking about is the story of Joseph. And if you're new to the Bible, I'm not talking about Mary and Joseph, because he's probably the more famous Joseph. This is a different Joseph. If you remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. It's like 14 chapters long. You know, there are very few characters in the the Scripture that get 14 chapters. That's how significant this guy was. But I want to tell you part of it. Um, We we use an amazing curriculum over here in, in Surge with our elementary kids called What's in the Bible?, and, uh, and the whole idea in their, their scope and sequence is walking the kids through the Scripture. And so um, I actually stole some, some pictures from them to help us just so that you have a visual of who we're talking about. So you know the story in, of Abraham. You've heard of Abraham, right? How many of you have ever heard of Abraham? Well, you recognize Abraham because we all know that's exactly what he looked like. Um, so if you want to back up a little bit, we had, you know, God and Adam and Eve. And then next, of course, is Noah, right? You're nodding your head like, yeah, that's Noah. And then we had Abraham. And then Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham. And, uh, and then he had a son. His name was, good job. It's on the screen behind me, isn't it? Oh, you did it with before. Wow. Well, then. Uh, and Isaac had uh, some sons and most notably Jacob. And Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. He had twelve sons. And uh, who was his favorite son? So that's another issue. It's another sermon altogether because I don't think it's a good idea to have a favorite son. Uh, But anyway, he had a favorite son, and his name was Joseph. And that's Joseph right there. That's exactly what he looked like. Joseph was a favorite son. His brothers didn't like him for several reasons, mostly because he was a favorite son. And God kind of set him up for failure, kind of, in the situation he threw him into. And his dad definitely set him up for failure, and his brothers set him up for failure, and he kind of set himself up for failure. And one day, his brothers see him coming, and they say, you know, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him, because he had this history with dreams, and he would dream things, and he would tell them what they meant, and it was never good for his brothers, and made him out to be the hero. So they're like, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. I don't know if any of you have ever had little spats with your siblings. (laughs) So you know exactly what they're they're thinking. Let's kill him. And then they were overcome with mercy, and they said, no, let's just sell him. (laughs) Let's sell him to whoever comes by next with some cash in their pocket, and they can have him. So they had a merciful moment, and they threw him in a cistern. Remember this story? And it's basically like a dry well. And they decide to sell him to a group of Ishmaelites who are on their way to Egypt. Here's where we have to kind of lock and load for a minute. Suddenly there's a 17-year-old boy (coughs) shackled at the ankles to other slaves. became pretty obvious right away that now his life had drastically changed. On their way to a foreign country with a foreign language to be sold as a slave to who knows who to do who knows what. And not only does he not know what's going on, 
but he doesn't have any evidence that anything significant is going on in the minutiae of his worthless existence. And yet from the vantage point of history in Scripture, we know that God was up to something huge. We know that. Joseph didn't know the first thing about it. So stop for a second. Could that be true in your life? Could that be true in my life? Isn't that sometimes and most of the time exactly where we live in the epic story? Ankle to ankle, wrist to wrist, marching off to a purposeless, meaningless, possibly very short life? Nothing epic about that, unless you see it through the lens of eternity. And through the lens of eternity, what was God doing? God was taking this 17-year-old boy, and he was perfectly positioning him to raise up a nation within a nation from whom the Messiah would ultimately come and save the entire world. And the whole thing rested on the shoulders of a 17-year-old boy going into a meaningless, minutia-filled existence where there was no battle to fight and no beauty to rescue and certainly no adventure to live. But the epic had started. And Joseph was the central character. It's kind of odd to me. Remember what happened? I'm going to read you a few verses here. This is in Genesis 39, and that's kind of where we're going to, we're going to go. Genesis 39, a couple of verses in 41. So Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Then there's this strange verse, really strange verse, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. No, he wasn't. I just read verse 1. I don't see the Lord anywhere there. That's not how it works. I mean, if the Lord had been with Joseph, if Joseph had been part of some epic adventure and the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph would have been at home with his mom and dad and his brothers would have been in Egypt. You know, building pyramids with no quarters for the Coke machine. You know what I mean? Because that's what happens when God is with you, right? I mean, it is, isn't, isn't that the adventure? Isn't that how it works? I mean, because God can't possibly be with you. Look at your pitiful, pathetic little life, Joseph. I mean, what are you doing? What do you got, what do you got going on that's really big? Well, nothing. Well, then you must not be part of the adventure. You can't live with the assurance that God is with you then. The story goes on, and Joseph gets bought by Potiphar, and uh, then it seems like things are starting to work out. Uh, so the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 5. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. To which if I'm Joseph, I'm going, okay, okay, hold on. Tell me, tell me this one more time, how this works, because... Uh, why don't you bless me because of me? What are you blessing him for? So you're blessing Potiphar because of me. I don't quite, this doesn't compute for me. I mean, that's really great. You know, I really appreciate, you know, that, you know, I get, I get dragged out of my home and betrayed by my brothers and sold into slavery. And for all intents and purposes, I'll never see my family again. And now God is with me. And so we bless him. I mean, hey, here's an idea, God. If the Lord is with me, might, maybe you ought to bless me. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Isn't that what we think? Let's get real for a second. Could you really be playing a significant role in what God is up to and the circumstances of your life be what they are today? Is that even possible? 
Oh, I would say absolutely. Here's what, here's what uh, Johnny Rogers used to say over in uh, Surge or before Surge in Kidmo. Remember, some of you remember Johnny Rogers. He would say, here's the nugget. Well, here's the nugget. I can't believe I said that, but here's the nugget. You know what Joseph was doing while he was in Potiphar's house? The son of a rich man, a spoiled brat, 17-year-old who got everything he wanted, who suddenly is the slave in a foreign land where he can't even speak the language. Do you know what he did while he was in Potiphar's house? Here's the nugget. He did exactly what any 17-year-old would do who'd been ripped away from his family and sold into slavery. He did exactly what any 17-year-old would do who was in those particular circumstances, who was confident that God was with him. That's all he did. The story goes on, it kind of goes, you know, from good to bad to worse. And God finally um, puts him in a situation where he can have his first battle. Because, you know, in the epic, there's always a battle to fight. So there's always always a beauty to rescue and always an adventure to live. And so God allows him to fight his first battle. Remember his first battle? One day, Potiphar's wife says to him, Joseph, just like that. Here's his first battle to fight. And we can relate to this because God puts him in a battle where there's no way to win. It's a, it's a no-win battle. It's not like, okay, yeah, battle's done, let's line up the troops, count them off. Yep, we got more than you do, we win. No, it wasn't that kind of deal. It was, no, it was kind of a no-win situation where he, Joseph had, didn't have a chance there. He says, because if he offends the mistress of the house, then she can have him hung. And if I offend the master of the house, and if I yield to his wife's advances towards me here, uh, he can have me hung. And so God's like, Joseph, here's your first battle. Congratulations, you're in the epic. And uh, I've got some good news for you. You can't possibly win this battle, so there's no way to come out as a winner. Uh, Go get him, Joseph, because I'm with you. It's an epic. Is it possible for God to put you in a no-win situation that's part of some grand story? I think so. Have you ever found yourself there? Thinking, well, if I do this and I get hung, and if I do that, I get hung. I don't know God. I don't think God's in this at all. So there's Potiphar's wife and Joseph. You know, there's Joseph, Joseph, patient Joseph, come to my bedroom now, please. This happened day after day after day after day, and he resists her. And finally, he had this kind of interesting conversation with her, and he explains to her why he can't sleep with her, and here's what he says, verse 8. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one's greater in this house than I am. My master's withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now listen to this. It's like, you've got to be kidding. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? You mean the God who's done so much for you lately, Joseph? That God? You mean the God who allowed you to be ripped away from your family and sold into slavery? Is that who you're talking about? You mean the God who placed you in this situation and there's no way that you can possibly come out the winner? That's the God you're being faithful to? You know what Joseph did in this situation? He did exactly what any young man would do who'd been ripped away from his family, sold into slavery, put in a no-win situation. He was confident that God was with him. Because somehow Joseph knew, and I don't know how he knew this, but he knew that even though God was extraordinarily silent, God was not absent. 
Even though he was extraordinarily silent and seemed to be nowhere around, somehow Joseph clung to the fact that although he is silent, he is not absent. And Joseph did in that situation where there seemed to be no great battle to win, no beauty to rescue, and this is not the adventure that I signed up for and wanted to live, in that moment where there seemed to be no context he didn't know what was going on. In fact, he didn't, know, he, he didn't know that anything was going on. There was no Bible. There were no prophets. There was, no, there was, you know, there was his great-grandfather who left in his homeland, kind of messed up his family, and he was going to be a nation. And then he has like, oh, what, one son? Woo-hoo, that's a nation. Way to go, Grandpa. You know what I mean? He, it's no, there's no context here. He doesn't know that there's any kind of grand scheme. And yet Joseph did exactly what anybody in those circumstances would do who was absolutely confident that God was with him and you remember how he was rewarded because when you're on God's side you always come out a winner right Hmm. he's framed for rape Potiphar comes home throws him in the dungeon where Pharaoh's prisoners are kept and there he is once again no hope no context no promise just a kid alone in a dungeon in a land where he can barely speak the language but somehow and I don't know how he did this but I guess this is our challenge when we walk out of here this is our challenge when we, when we wake up every single day and we go to work and we go back to school and our life is not an adventure and nobody wants to be rescued and the battles aren't clear and we can't win them and they're mostly with ourselves anyway. Somehow in that moment, somehow he just decided that he would do what somebody in his circumstances would do if they were confident that God was with them. So he gets thrown into the dungeon this is kind of funny to me actually, but verse 20, he says, but while uh, Joseph was there in the prison... Verse 21, the Lord was with him. I don't want to be sacrilegious because it wouldn't befit my personality, but I want to be careful not, so in my notes I wrote this last night, that while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him, and then I wrote, so what? I don't want the Lord to be with me in prison. Cause, right, because I don't want to be in that prison. That's no great consolation. Oh, thank you so much for being with me in this dungeon. I got an idea, God. How about if you could go be with somebody else for a little while, go spend some time with my father because he's missing me, you know, and now leave me alone because you've blessed me enough. If God is with you in prison, things aren't going that well for you. There's no epic. There's no adventure. There are no beauties to rescue. There are no battles to win. But there in the prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And although God was silent, he was not absent. God was up to something huge. And Joseph didn't know what it was, and he had no idea that anything was happening behind the scenes. But you know what Joseph did in that dungeon? He did what any young man would do who'd been ripped away from his family and sold into slavery and framed for rape and thrown into a dungeon who was confident that God was with him. I love this next line. The Lord is with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And I like to read this in the eye of the prison warden because I picture the prison warden as one tough one-eyed dude for some reason. So... I like it that way better. So he granted him favor in the eye of the prison warden. You'll never read that verse the same way. 
if you are on a first-name basis with the prison warden, things are not going well for you. I mean, it's, not, it's, like, it's like, oh, happy day, God granted me favor with the prison warden. You may be at an all-time low. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you know what? Like me and the, and, the, and the warden, you know, we're like this, man. We are tight. Things are great. I'm part of an epic. I live in the dungeon, and the warden is friends with me. <laughs> Woo! It's kind of funny when you think, you kind of read it that way. But isn't this our lives? Isn't it just the mundane? Another sermon, another church service. Another Monday, another meeting, another practice, another class, another appointment, another customer, another deal. I mean, isn't it hard to live every day as if something bigger is going on? You know what Joseph did there? Do you know why Joseph found favor in the eye of the warden? Do you know why no matter how bad his circumstances got, somehow God was always able to keep the story alive, to keep the story moving forward. you know why? It's real simple. Because Joseph simply did in all of these circumstances what anybody in these circumstances would do if they were confident that God was with them. Oh, 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 oh. But then there's a glimmer of hope. Pharaoh gets mad. He has a temper problem, obviously, apparently, and he gets mad at his cupbearer, and he got mad at his baker, and he throws them both in the dungeon. I don't know what a cupbearer and a baker could possibly do to get thrown into a dungeon, but they did. So they're in, dungeon, in the dungeon hanging out with Joseph and the warden, and they, these two guys each had a dream. And one morning at breakfast, they're talking about these weird dreams they had, and Joseph says, I can interpret dreams. Let me t- tell me what happened. And the cupbearer tells the story, and Joseph's like, well, I've got good news for you. In three days, you're out of here. And he, and he says to him, look, when you get out of here, would you do me a favor? And the cupbearer says, well, I mean, if this comes true, of course I'll do you a favor. He says, would you put in a good word for me and the people in the household of Pharaoh? Because I don't deserve to be here. And I think he kind of told him his whole story. You know, he's like, I was ripped away from my family, and I was falsely accused, and I was a model prisoner, and I'm tight with the warden, and I don't deserve to be here. Would you do whatever it takes to get me out of here? Because Joseph wasn't really enjoying this, you know. It wasn't like, well, you know, whatever happens, God, you know, like, don't worry, be happy. This is great. No, Joseph hated his circumstances. But just like you sometimes, just like you sometimes hate the minutiae and the circumstances where you find yourself, Joseph was there. So he says, would you please put in a good word for me? And I'm like, come on. I mean, how difficult would it have been for this guy? Because in three days he's released and he's back serving Pharaoh. And how, how difficult would it have been for him to say, oh, Pharaoh, since we're talking here, I want to I tell you something. There's this guy down in your dungeon. How hard would that have been? You know what I'm talking about. Lord, all I need is this one break. All I need is this one opportunity. God, all I need is this one interview. God, all I need is this one promotion, this one chance. God, this is so simple, even I understand it. Let me explain what you need to do, okay? Just so I make it clear to you, all you have to do, it's not going to take a lot of your time and a lot of your energy. You can do big things, God. So if you'll just do this one thing, this won't tax your energy. The lights in heaven won't dim because it's taxing so much of your energy here. It's not that difficult for you. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, if you'll just do this one thing, that's all I'm asking of you, because I just want a chance. And Joseph is saying to this guy, all I want you to do is this one thing, just mention me to Pharaoh, and I'm out of here. I mean, how hard is that? He's not asking for a miracle here. Oh, chapter 40, verse 23 says this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. 
he forgot him. And God continues to be silent, but he was not absent. Hey, what's going on, Joseph? What's happening? Nothing. I live in a dungeon. My best friend is a one-eyed warden. You know? Going to be here the rest of my life. What do you mean what's going on? I mean, we caught a rat the other night. Cell three. Man, that was awesome. Made for some good breakfast. But uh, biggest rat I ever saw. We're going to take care of that. But we'll get that going on, I guess. I love the story because it's a microcosm. It's God saying just because you don't see it happening doesn't mean it isn't happening. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't make any sense. Just because you don't know how to interpret your circumstances doesn't mean that there isn't a divine interpretation. Just because it looks like minutia, another Monday, another meeting, another training, another customer, another you know, church service, another school year, another class, another exam, another argument, another doctor's appointment, another payment. Just because it seems like this is going nowhere fast, you need to understand there's a story. And you've been written into the script. And our responsibility as Christ followers isn't to understand it. Our responsibility is to wake up every single day and ask this question, what would someone in my circumstances do today if they were absolutely confident that God was with them? And then decide, I'm just going to do that. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to ask the question, you know, what would somebody in this job, with this husband, with this wife, with these kids, with these physical ailments, with this debt, with this baggage, what would that person do if they were absolutely confident that God was with them? That's what I'm going to do today because sometimes God is silent, but he is never absent. So Joseph was forgotten. The Bible says two years go by. The cupbearer forgot him. But God never forgot him. You ever feel forgotten? You know, you come to church and, you know, we get up here and we get all excited about what we have to say because it's the most important thing you're ever going to hear. And we get all excited about that. And we sing some songs and sometimes we get a little emotional and we visit over coffee. We hang out for a little while after the service is gone and everybody's all smiles. And maybe you're tempted to think, well, I want that. I want a life like that. I want something that's an adventure. I had a, you know, I had a guy say to me a few years ago, <laughs> he said, someday on my day off, I'd like to spend a day with you, just kind of shadow, shadow you to see what your life is like. like <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Because tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and I'm going to take the trash to the dump and I'm going to get my mail and I'm going to pay some bills and then I'll call the car dealership about because I'm still waiting on that recalled part because my engine won't shut off. And I'll spend some time staring at my computer screen in my office and We'll get in the car, and we'll probably go to town. I'll undoubtedly go to Walmart because I can't go a day without seeing Garth. And the next day, (laughs) I'll do some stuff that honestly is far from adventuresome. I know. So now you know. So how do we walk out of here and remember that there are battles to fight and there are beauties to rescue and there's an adventure? But how to remember that when I'm ripped away from my family and I'm sold into slavery and I'm set up to fail and I'm thrown in a dungeon and the one guy who could be my ticket out of here forgets that I even exist? Then one night, Pharaoh has a dream. Remember this? 
This dude was messed up. The cows come out of the Nile River, and there's some big cows, and then some scrawny cows come out of the river, and they eat the big fat cows. I've had dreams like that after I've had a juicy steak, but I don't think they have deep meaning. So he wakes up, and he's like, I think he's wondering, what did I eat for supper? Should have left the onions off that steak. But he goes back to sleep, and he has another dream, another dream and this stalk of grain sprouts up seven heads, full and healthy, and then seven more heads that are sick and withered, and the withered heads eat the seven healthy heads. And he wakes up and he's freaked out and he calls in his advisors and all the smartest people that he knew. And they try to interpret the dream. And the Bible says, I love this. Then the cupbearer remembered Joseph. <laughs> Been two years. He's like, Pharaoh, I hate to bring this up, but you remember we had that little, oh man, we had that little falling out. Remember that day um, I spilled some stuff and I had to go to the dungeon for a while? Um, while I was there, I met this guy named jo- Joseph. And he interpreted a dream for me, and it came true. So I think maybe you ought to bring him out, because I'm pretty sure he can interpret your dream for you. So they bring Joseph out of the dungeon, and they cleaned him up, and they put on some fresh clothes, and he had no idea what's going on. He's brought in before Pharaoh. And this is what Pharaoh says to Joseph, verse 15. I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is the moment of truth. This is it finally got the break. For you, this is the deal that makes you golden. This is the contract that takes you to the next level. This is the raise. This is the promotion. This is the interview. This is the scholarship. This is the internship. This is the decision. This is the opportunity. This is your big break. And Pharaoh says, Joseph, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph is looking at the most powerful man in the world, this guy who thinks he's God, and says, verse 16, I cannot do it. Wrong answer. You have one path out, Joseph. You don't look at the king of the world and say, can't help you. I got to get back. We got some important stuff going on in the dungeon. We got that rat deal going on. So we got to go back and deal with that. I got some important. I cannot do it, Pharaoh, but, but, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires to which everybody in the place went, na, 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 na. Hey, 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 goodbye. Because, like, hey, Hebrew guy, you don't come into the palace and look into the eyes of the guy who thinks he's God and say, well, you're not smart enough to figure it out. And you're God and all your little gods and all your smart guys aren't enough to, smith to figure it out. Me and my God, you know, the Hebrew God, my God's powerful. I've been in your dungeon for 13 years, so I know what I'm talking about, okay? My God's powerful. I mean, I am your man. I've organized your dungeon. It is one smooth operating dungeon, asked the warden. And my God is going to tell you what you don't know because he's bigger and smarter and more powerful than you are. That's why I've been hanging out in your dungeon for 13 years just while you've been ruling the known world. It's like, Joseph, man, you've got to play the game. You don't talk about God now. Talk, talk to God later, you know. Thank you, God, for giving me the interpretation to the dream. That was really cool. I know it's all, you did all that, and it's great. I think you, you rock, God. And when I'm out of here and I'm rich and famous, I'm going to give you all the glory. And I'm going to write a book and all that, and you'll get all the glory, and I'll dedicate it to you. But for right now, let's keep this between us. I mean, why did he do this? Why is it so important? Uh, why do we get so intimidated in some situations with confident people, in successful people, 
and popular people and respected people and influential people and we freeze up. Do you know why he said what he said? Because it's what you do when you've been stolen from your home and thrown in a cistern and betrayed by your brothers and sold into slavery and framed for a crime and thrown into a prison and stand before the most powerful man in the world when you're confident that God is with you. Remember what Pharaoh said? He's like, all righty then, here's the dream. And he told Joseph the dream, and Joseph said, here's the interpretation. And you've got to read this on your own, because, it, I mean, it's like, who does this guy think he is? I mean, it's unbelievable. He's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world after spending years in the man's dungeon. And he looks at the most powerful man in the world, and he interprets the dream. And he looks at the most powerful man in the world, and he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have seven years of plenty, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. You got that? I hope you're writing this down, okay? Okay, now, here's what you need to do. You, you listen, Pharaoh? Here's what you need to do. Because I know what I'm talking about because I've been in your dungeon for 13 years. You've got to find yourself a man who's really smart, and you've got to put him in charge of the famine project because, Pharaoh, you can't handle this on your own. You're not smart enough. You've got to find a guy, put him in charge of this project. You've got you to send him out all over your kingdom, which is quite awesome, by the way, so I've heard. And you've got to save all this extra grain, and you've got to spread it out over the land. And then over, after the seven years are up, you don't let the people have everything immediately. You've got to spread it out, and the people are going to be so dependent on you. I mean, if, if they think you're the man now, you're going to rock when these seven years of plenty are over. I mean, you're going to be reelected like that because everybody's going to be coming to you. And Joseph outlines his whole plan. Like, like somebody asked him for advice. And it's like, uh, Joseph, we asked you for an interpretation of the dream, not economics 101, okay? We didn't ask you how to run the country. We're cool with that. Look around. We pretty much got that figured out. Uh, but it's like, where have you been again? Oh, I've been in the dungeon. been running the prison. I mean, me and the warden are tight. I love this verse, and we're almost done. Genesis 41, verse 41. <laughs> so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Because, Joseph, I've known you for like 30 minutes now. So everybody cool with that? And all of his advisors are like, what? What just, what just, oh, I guess, oh, yes, of course, Pharaoh. That's a great idea. Yes, yes, we've been serving you all our lives and working our way up. Um, why don't you put the young Hebrew prisoner, in cha- you know, slave, in charge of the whole thing? I mean, of course that's cool. Why wouldn't that be cool with us? We think that's a great idea. Great plan, Pharaoh. And what Joseph did then, now he's the most powerful man in the whole kingdom except for Pharaoh himself. He's got wealth, he's got power, he's got influence, he's got everything most of us want. You know what he did? He did exactly what you do if you've been ripped from your family and thrown into a cistern and betrayed by your brothers and sold into slavery and framed for a crime and thrown into a dungeon, stood before the most powerful man in the world, gave him great advice and put in charge of saving the whole country if you were confident that God was with you. That's all he did. He didn't know the story. He, I don't think he even knew there was a story. And God, who'd been so silent, was never absent. He accomplished his will to create a nation, a nation from whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come. And this key player never even knew the story. All he knew was, if God is with me, what do I do in these circumstances? And he did it. Let me ask you a couple questions and we're done. Do you know what God wants to accomplish through you? The correct answer is no, you don't. We don't. 
Do you know how many people God wants to influence through you? No, we don't. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to walk out of here and to wake up every day saying, today I'm not going to try to figure the whole thing out. I'm not going to try to micromanage God's will. I'm not going to try to leverage and manipulate and control and scheme. I'm just going to live my life like anyone who is absolutely confident that God was with them. Do you know what hangs in the balance of your decision to live your life that way? I mean, do you know what hangs in the balance? No, you don't. Neither did Joseph. And we don't want to miss our part in the story. You don't want to wake up one day and look back in your life and you're like, oh, stupid was I? How could I have missed this? I kept trying to manipulate and make it happen and, you know, force the issue and I missed it. And I thought because I was a high school student that God couldn't possibly expect to use me. And he wouldn't bother to show up in my circumstances. So I figured I had lots of time, you know, after school, and after college, and after my 20s to tune in to what he wanted to do through me then. Because listen, you don't know what God wants to do through you. And you don't even know what God is doing right now through you. But what you know, what I know, that Joseph never knew, is that God is up to something big and he's writing an epic story and we're in Act 3 and in Act 4 we're all going to look back and go, yeah, God. And you don't want to miss it. And the great thing is your part isn't very complicated. Let me just give you your part in the whole deal. You wake up every day and you ask the question, what would someone like me in my circumstances do if they were absolutely convinced that God was with them? You ask the question and then you act on the answer. I want to read you one more passage of Scripture. This is from the New Testament. Some of you have probably memorized this. Most of a lot of you have. But I want you to listen to it through this filter. One day Jesus stood on a hillside with a whole bunch of his followers, and, and he's about to leave, and here's what he says. Matthew 28. He says, All authority, all authority, that's bigger than Pharaoh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you're in the cistern, I'm with you. When you're on your way to Egypt, I'm with you. When you're in the dungeon, I'm with you. When you've been forgotten, I'm with you. When you're in the presence of powerful people, I'm with you. When you've got all the wealth in the world, I'm with you. When you've got all the influence and responsibility in the world, I'm with you. And your responsibility is very, very simple. You don't have to know everybody else's role. You don't have to. You don't have to wonder, why can't I play their part and they play mine? I wish I had their part. Every day, we just need to get up and remember that even though God is often silent, He is never absent. So I'll simply live this day as if my Heavenly Father is with me. So here's my challenge. Are you willing to live? Are you willing to love? Are you willing to lead as men and women and students who are confident that God is with you? confident, even in the minutiae, the routine, the boredom, the confusion, the no-win situations, are you willing to approach all that with the attitude that God is with me? Because if you are, you'll play your role in the epic story, and you may never know all that God has done or will do through you, but at the end of the day, we'll be the players that God, the Father, looks at and says, way to go. You've fulfilled your role.
well, I didn't even know I had a role. I never saw anything big happen in my life. And your Heavenly Father will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, because there was a big part and there's a big story, and you played your part, not because you knew all the intricacies and because you had to figure it all out, but because you simply latched on to the whole idea of what would a person in my situation do if they're absolutely confident that God was with them. Would you live that way? Would you lead that way? Would you love that way? Between Joseph and Jesus, there was another man. He was a king. He knowed all kinds of highs and all kinds of lows. And he said it this way. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Because I'm the king. Because I'm a great warrior. No, no, no. Because you are with me. What would you do if you're confident that God is with you?